0: Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10 and 13 to 18. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. My name is Tari George, and I'm the Director of Family Discipleship here at Grace Toronto Church. And if you're just joining us, welcome. We've been in a sermon series in the book of Proverbs looking at what it means to live wisely in the world that God has made. And this morning, we find ourselves in Proverbs 3, looking at the subject of wealth. This passage asks the question, how should we treat our money? How do we manage our wealth in a way that is healthy and good? Well, it was in September 1987 when iconic rock band Guns N' Roses considered this very question. They released their hit single, Welcome to the Jungle. Maybe you've heard it before. It was this edgy, hard-rocking song that depicted what life looked like in some of America's most wealthy and happening cities. And in it, lead singer Axel Rose comments on his disillusionment actually visiting some of these cities, places like L.A., New York, and Seattle. You see, places that he thought... Initially where a paradise city actually turned out to resemble much more of what he called a jungle. In one of the verses of his song he writes this, Welcome to the jungle, it gets worse here every day. You learn to live like an animal in the jungle where we play. If you got a hunger for what you see, you will take it eventually. You can have anything you want, but you better not take it from me. In the jungle, welcome to the jungle. It's going to bring you down. Well, fans love the song, and it quickly shot up to the billboards, not just because it was catchy, but because it, I think, revealed verse after verse something true and timeless about the cities we inhabit. Axel Rose wrote about the things he saw and the ways that wealth had created not places of flourishing for people, but rather places of covetousness, self-indulgence, and vanity. This is what wealth does. Unless you or I think that we somehow stand apart from this jungle or that this somehow doesn't describe our relationship to wealth, Axel warns listeners, it will most certainly bring you down. And curiously, our passage this morning reiterates this very same point. Solomon, writing centuries before Axel, warns people about the dangers of mistreating wealth and the pitfalls of inhabiting our cultural jungle. In our passage today, he encourages people to take a different path. He urges listeners to do two things with respect to their wealth. First, honor the Lord. And second, hold fast to wisdom. Honor the Lord and hold fast to wisdom. We'll begin with honoring the Lord. If you have just joining us, we've been hearing from King Solomon uh, week after week, who, who is uh, this ruler and king over ancient Israel. And he's been writing primarily to his son next in line to the throne about how he should live. But his words are also meant for any who wish to follow God wisely. And a few verses earlier in chapter 3, Solomon urges listeners with these words. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And our passage today follows almost on the heels of this teaching, it functions almost like an application of this principle. Wealth here is one of the many aspects of life where we are encouraged to do this, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to acknowledge him. Well, how do we begin to do that? Well, Solomon tells us here, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, this word uh, honor here comes from the Hebrew word kaved. It's a a hearty word, kaved, which literally means to be heavy. It, It signifies the act of esteeming a person to have great social weight and prominence. This God, Solomon says, by virtue of his importance, his kaved, deserves to receive your first fruits, the very best of what you have. Well, why is this king teaching his people to do this? Why must they honor the Lord with their wealth? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy, this is actually one of the fundamental elements of what it means to be part of God's people. In Deuteronomy 8, God says to the people, beware lest you say in your heart, My power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. See, the people are to remember that their wealth and everything they have accumulated belongs to God. They may have worked hard with their hands or been faithful in small respects, but whatever wealth they have is fundamentally due to God's grace. And by honoring God with their wealth, they show that they acknowledge his rule and ownership over their lives. They testify that he is a good and gracious God. Now, if you're here and exploring the Christian faith, well, I would imagine that this sounds quite strange to you. Why does God need my wealth? Isn't this just some religious ploy to take people's money? No, not at all. See, the Bible says that God doesn't need your wealth, He owns everything. In fact, Solomon's father, King David, writes in Psalm 24 about this God. He says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Bible teaches us here that everything belongs to God. He is both creator and ruler. And yet, in his mysterious plan, he has also chosen to dispense this wealth to people for the flourishing of the world. He has created materials like gold, lumber, oil, precious metals, and a great many other things for us to use in his honor. And he's also personally given to you such things like your assets, your salary, your savings, your bank account, all your wealth. All these things, too, belong to God and proceed from him. And the claim of scripture is precisely this, that whatever little or much you have has been given to you by God. And the question now is, what will you do with it? As the Deuteronomy passage shows us, there is a choice to be made. The increase of wealth will undoubtedly lead you down one of two paths. You will either acknowledge this Lord who has given you the power to get wealth, or you will acknowledge that your own power and your own might have done this. One of these will lead to honoring God, and the other will lead to an honoring of self. Do you see what Solomon is saying? The way you regard your wealth is fundamentally determined by who you think it really belongs to. If it belongs to God, it will be your joy to use it and spend it in his service. You will find radical freedom in doing so. But if you think it belongs to you, your wealth will become a snare to you. You will either hold it close and guard it fiercely, or you will use it to purchase honor from our culture. Your life will become about spending and using your money in such a way so that the people in all your circles might notice you and respect you and give you their honor. Even your charitable giving, something that is meant to be a gift of great good, will become about you strengthening your legacy. Tell me you don't honestly see that happening already in the culture around you, in all our institutions. See, we are people who desire this kaved and we will use our wealth to get it. But it'll never be enough, and you will find yourself trying to buy from people something that is not for sale. Because you see, this honor is not yours or mine to have. It is a kaved of the heaviest kind, this kind that can only be carried by an eternal God. And ironically, ironically, God has so designed us that when we give honor to him, we are actually free to be more important and more necessary and more meaningful to the world than we could ever have been otherwise. This is the claim of scripture. Do you understand what this means? The reason God cares about your money is because how we spend says a whole lot about what we value and who we honor. Jesus, speaking about money in Matthew 6, says this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, money reflects our priorities. And by calling us to honor him with our money, God is calling and asking each one of us to make him our highest priority. And curiously, Solomon claims in verse 10 that God actually seems to reward those who do this. Solomon says first that the one who follows this teaching, for this person, your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. What an image. Now, it's at this point in our sermon that we need to think very carefully about what Solomon's saying Because many false preachers, I think, have come to passages like these and have suggested that if you give your wealth to this or that ministry in honor of the Lord, he will make you exceedingly wealthy. They say if you're poor, well, it's because you're not giving enough. If you're sick, honor the Lord with your wealth and he will make you well. If you have dreams and goals that you haven't yet attained, give to God and he will shower you with more health, wealth, and prosperity than you can imagine. Maybe you've heard that before. This is the prosperity gospel, and it has harmed thousands of individuals and communities around the world. I need to tell you that this kind of thinking doesn't honor God. It dishonors him. This is not what Solomon has in mind, and here's why. First, his instruction is primarily written from Solomon to his son, the next king. He will most certainly have lots of wealth And the question that Solomon wants to answer is primarily, what should you do, my son, with all of your wealth? It's so important that we read these instructions in context. In the way that the king stewards his wealth, he is to be an example to the people. He is to demonstrate how the person at the very top of the nation, the king himself, the most wealthy, honors God with his wealth. And the Bible envisions that as the king does this, as he obeys God's word to him in Deuteronomy, it will most naturally lead to the flourishing of the nation as a whole. This is what this passage is about. It should be said that it's inappropriate to think that the average Israelite, many of whom did manual labor and were servants, even owned a barn or a vat, much less that they would read this passage and suddenly expect for it to be overflowing you can see how this kind of reading is fairly problematic. Moreover, the Bible actually has a lot to say about financial debt and care of the poor, so it cannot be that every person who honors God will never face financial difficulties ever. No. Prosperity is never a marker of how pleased God is with you. In fact, the Bible has some pretty strong words to say to the rich who presume that they are most blessed by God because they are wealthy. What then is Solomon saying here? Well, I think we ought to read this passage as a principle of reciprocity, that God blesses those who honor him. Deuteronomy tells us that there are temporal and spiritual blessings that are given to the one who honors God. And it is in God's purpose, not ours, God's purpose to do this, to determine how to bless each person and in what measure they ought to receive material blessings. Remember, if all wealth really does belong to God, then he has every right to do with it as he pleases. It's his. It belongs to him. Do you follow me? It's true, I think, that God gives material wealth to people in different degrees. To some believers, God gives great amounts of wealth because in his mysterious plan, the using of their wealth, some about, how, brings about great honor and glory and purpose for God. And to other believers, God gives very little wealth Not because of any fault in themselves, you understand, but because in his mysterious plan, their lack of wealth somehow demonstrates to show the world that God can be trusted and that he is immeasurably more worthy than the riches of this world. I have to tell you, I have Christian friends in both these camps and I have seen God richly honored in the lives of both kinds of people. This is not a formula. When you read the Bible as a whole, it is difficult to say unequivocally that God rewards those who honor him with more material wealth. The point you see is that if the primary purpose of wealth is to honor God, it matters very little how much or how little you have. We ought to be ready to honor God with both large sums of wealth and also very little of it. I think this is worth some consideration. Because it is a widely held notion among Canadians that the wealth of this country is held by the top 1%. The top 1%. It is popular today in our political climate to speak of the wealthy in this way. These are the people who have the money. The rest of us, well, we're just getting by. You need to know, biblically speaking, that this passage is not written to the 1%. For all intents and purposes, the Bible considers most of us to be people of wealth. You didn't have to worry about what you would eat this morning. You woke up in a clean bed in a warm home. You have running water and electricity on demand. You have clothes for multiple occasions. You have money enough not just for basic needs, but even such things as entertainment, hobbies, and traveling. Thousands of people around the world didn't have that privilege today. Nor are they likely to have it tomorrow. My friends, you may not be in the wealthiest 1%, but you have some measure of wealth that God has given you to honor him. This word is for you. And by the way, honoring God with your money doesn't just mean that you give to the church. That's far too simplistic. To honor God with your money means that we learn to use our wealth for God's redemptive purposes. It means that we learn to treat our wealth as if it were not ours. And we learn to increasingly spend ourselves in the service of God and his kingdom. And as you consider the wealth that God has given you, whether very little or very much, you are called to wisely discern how the Lord would have you use it. This is how God is honored. Christian, ask yourself, does my spending reflect that God is honored and prioritized in my life? Does my lifestyle reflect that God receives my first fruits or just my leftovers? the ways that I use my money demonstrate to the watching world that my best life is not now? Grace Toronto, this matters profoundly for us even as a church. As we continue to grow and attract more people of the city, we must constantly be asking this question. Are we honoring the Lord with our wealth? I don't need to tell you that there are churches throughout history that even in our present day don't take this very seriously. Wealth is squandered and bigger facilities, more expensive tech, elaborate programs, and a great many other things in the name of honoring God. Very few churches start out this way, you understand. But as wealth grows, it becomes increasingly difficult to distinguish the honor of the church from the honor of the Lord. They are not the same. God will have stern words to say to the church who neglects this word. Elders, pastors, staff, deacons, We ought to take this all the more seriously. You and I have been put in positions of trust to steward the wealth of God's people. How will God deal with us if we take the money that the saints have entrusted to us for the honor of the Lord and we spend it frivolously? We ought to think very wisely about that. Men and women, we are a fairly affluent people. This passage and the story of Solomon is instructive to us, I think, you are to honor the Lord with your wealth and you are to pray for and hold your leadership accountable for doing the same. And if in God's goodness, listen, if in God's goodness, our barns begin filling with plenty and our vats begin bursting with wine, well, let us be all the more diligent to honor the Lord with that too. This is Solomon's first word to us. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Second, Solomon also instructs us here to hold fast to wisdom. If there are blessings to be had through honoring God with our wealth, well, there is that much more for the person who holds steadfastly to this wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? What does he mean? That's an important question. Well, Solomon has already taught in the previous chapters that it is the Lord who gives wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's saying that wisdom is this special revelation that one finds in communion with God. It is gained when one fears the Lord, that is, reveres him, and when one learns increasingly to honor him. For the one who diligently seeks godly wisdom, God will teach them, guide them, and instruct them in all the ways that are good, and this is what Solomon is claiming in the Proverbs. And God will even reward them. Look with me at this passage. In verses 13 and 18, he repeats a blessing for those who listen to this instruction. In verse 13, he begins by saying, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And later in verse 18, he concludes by saying, those who hold fast to wisdom are called blessed. In biblical literature, this is what's called an inclusio. The author is intentionally drawing your attention to the wards of wisdom. He's saying that wisdom is not just something a person finds once in their life. No, no, not at all. It's something that must be held onto, cultivated, clung to continually. Why? Because it's exceedingly valuable. And it's here that Solomon does something really interesting. He begins contrasting the gain of wisdom with that of wealth. There is there was any doubt before that Solomon is teaching prosperity a few verses earlier, well, he clears that right up. Compared to wisdom, material wealth isn't even on the radar. It pales in comparison. Solomon says that the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver, and our profit is better than gold. What a startling statement for this king to make. Interestingly enough, I stumbled upon an article from LinkedIn where they actually published uh, an article in 2019 where a researcher from academia attempted to determine Solomon's net worth in today's currency. He pulled together what we know of Solomon's assets, his trade agreements, financial gifts, and taxes over his 40-year reign. And he concluded that Solomon brought in roughly $1.1 billion of gold each year and had a net worth of multiple billions of dollars. What a guy. I mean, really. Really? Like, what a guy to be writing this passage. Whether your barns are overflowing is hardly even important in retrospect. According to Solomon, wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wealth is simply not the key to human flourishing. It was uh, Jim Carrey who famously said these words. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. I don't know about you, but I often roll my eyes when I hear rich celebrities talk about how money is not the answer. The cynic in me just wants to say, what a load of crock. Like, really? Is that really what you think? That seems just a little inconsiderate to the rest of us plebeians. I mean, I'm sure I could be just a little more happy with some more wealth. I know I'm not alone in thinking that. And so I confess that when I come up to a passage like this, written by a man who sits upon an ivory throne and literally has cutlery made of gold, I'm tempted to be just a little bit skeptical. Gain from wisdom. wisdom is better than silver, gold, and jewels. Like, really? Is that really what you think? I grant you, it's hard to fathom. But here's why I think he's right. In verses 16 to 18, he talks about the benefits of wisdom. And listen to what he says. He writes, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. He's not saying that wealth is unimportant or that it wouldn't make things better for you and others, but it's, it's almost secondary to this long life. In ancient times, the right hand was the place of most prominence and importance. And you can see that in the Bible too. Jacob gives the son at his right hand Ephraim greater honor than the son of his left, Manasseh. Jesus is said to be at the right hand of God. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. See, what is in the left hand is never unimportant, you understand, but what is in the right has special attention and value. Wisdom is to be sought more eagerly than wealth because wealth is just a tool. It's not the end goal. But for the one who seeks wisdom, they will inherit both riches and honor and long life. What is he saying? I don't think Solomon is giving you some platitude about how wealth is not the answer. He's telling you to desire more than mere wealth. You want to be rich? Goodness, you ought to want for much more than that. Seek this godly wisdom, says Solomon, for her gain is greater than wealth. And yet, if you know the story, you'll know that Solomon actually struggles mightily in this area. When he first comes to power, he asks God not for long life, wealth, or victory over his enemies, but for wisdom to walk humbly before God and to carry out this role as Israel's king. And yet, as Solomon begins to accumulate wealth and riches, this wisdom seems to take almost a backseat in his life. Wealth makes him turn away from God and his wisdom. Now, scholars are divided, about when Solomon wrote this passage, did he write this to his son as a blessing and encouragement before these events, or did he write this to his son afterwards in repentance as a warning? We don't know for sure, but the Bible instructs us to listen and to be diligent about not following the same path. We are to love God's wisdom and instruction more than earthly wealth. It means that we are to listen to God even when the alternative seems to promise more financial gain. It means we are to obey God sometimes even at great personal cost to do what's right and good. It's so hard, especially in a city like this that just takes and takes and takes from you. But you are called to do it. You are called to do it. You are called to love God's word and wisdom more than silver, or gold, and jewels, more than condos, sedans, and exotic vacations. Have these things if you must, but let them never hold sway over your heart. Because if you truly love wisdom and what it gives more than wealth and what it buys, it is then that you will find your most prosperous life. Because it's right here in this proverb that Solomon explains the full reality of this wisdom. Hear these words. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Solomon explains the fruit of godly wisdom by taking us back to the very beginning of God's creation. In Genesis 1, we are told that God creates a garden with every kind of wealth imaginable, including a tree of life. And in love, he creates human beings and entrusts them with the privilege of stewarding his wealth. They are to take care of it, to make it exceedingly fruitful, and to honor the Lord with it, just as Solomon has been teaching us here. But they fail, just as he does. Instead of honoring God with this wealth, they selfishly do what you and I often do. They honor themselves instead. They rebel against God, and the world is is broken by the power of sin, and darkness, and death. And the consequence of this rebellion is this, that they are forbidden. They are forbidden from eating of this tree of eternal life that's in the garden. The penalty for their disobedience is death, and they realize to their horror that the beautiful garden that God has made has quickly turned into the jungle that you and I now inhabit. You see, the Bible says that apart from God, there is only death and decay. Is as that famous theologian Axel Rose writes, you're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. And yet there's also good news in this passage. Solomon says that for the one who accepts God's word, this wisdom that teaches a person to fear and honor the Lord, there is a tree of life. It is none other than the cross of Jesus Christ. A thousand years after Solomon writes this proverb, a rabbi filled with godly wisdom arrives on the scene. He is the son of God and his kaved is of the heaviest kind is to reconcile sinners to God. He teaches people how to fear the Lord and honor him, and yet he himself is despised, rejected, beaten, and bloodied on a Roman cross. The Apostle Paul, reflecting on this ministry, writes this, that he, Jesus, through his death, became for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Do you see? Men and women, Jesus became for us this wisdom incarnate that Solomon so longed for. The same hands that held long life, riches, and honor were pierced so that you could receive the same. It is because of him that you and I are restored to God. It is because of him that we are promised wealth and wisdom eternally. And when you hold fast to godly wisdom, the New Testament tells us that you hold fast to Christ himself. To gain him is better than silver or gold, and he is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with him. What do we say about application? What is Solomon, what is God asking us to do from this passage? I think this passage is calling us to honor the Lord and to hold fast to wisdom. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I invite you to desire something more than money. Do so. The God of the Bible has made you for his honor. And if you trust in him, you will find more purpose, more satisfaction, and more life than this world can give you. I would ask you to think about that. For the Christian, would you honor the Lord with your wealth? The gospel teaches us that Jesus is a greater king than Solomon. He honored the Lord in everything that he did, but most especially, most especially with his wealth. So much so that the Apostle Paul writes this, that though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What tremendous words. This is the gospel. Who could be more worthy of your honor than this Jesus? God has enriched you for the purpose of being generous. He cares greatly about you using your money to honor him, bless others, and alleviate suffering. You're to love wisdom and what he says more than wealth and what it buys. And I want to give you a simple framework to honor God with your wealth here. First, honor the Lord in your home. God may have given you our family members. He's given you family members to care for. First Timothy 5:8 says this that if anyone does not provide for his whole own household, he is denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. This is not to say that you shouldn't care for your own things. No, You are to use your wealth to provide for your family's basic needs. Uh, This doesn't mean that you go buy everything your family might want, but you have a responsibility before God, and you have to hear that. Second, honor the Lord in your church. This is the body that ministers to you each week and that God uses to grow your faith. Support it, pray for it, and care for those who labor in it. There are interns here who have literally left successful careers and have raised money for the express privilege of learning to serve you. Honor them. Honor them as they learn to honor the Lord. Third, honor the Lord in your city. You are to bless the city of Toronto, and with your wealth, you are to seek its flourishing. I'd encourage you to visit gracestranoca slash GCMJ and learn about our city partners. There are organizations you can support who are caring for refugees, prisoners, sex workers, homeless youth, families at risk, and women with unexpected pregnancies. Consider supporting these ministries with your finances and with your time. And fourth, honor the Lord in the world. More than any other time in history, we have the ability to now know and impact the lives of our brothers and sisters all over the world. The amount of money that you and I spend on a meal at DoorDash could literally save someone's life or be the difference between them hearing the gospel or not. Consider partnering with organizations like International Justice Mission, Tier Fund, Compassion International, and Voice of the Martyrs. And as you do these things, would you also hold fast to wisdom? Pray about these things. Ask the Lord to show you how to honor him this particular season, whether you have a lot or whether you have very little. I recognize that some of you, for some of you, COVID may have put you in a difficult season. You may have lost your job, your business, or a lot of your savings. Know that this text is not meant to be a burden to you. Part of you honoring the Lord with your wealth right now may mean that you seek help from our diaconate, that you receive care from our pastor's that you find a community, a loving community to help support you in this time. Honor the Lord with that too. Know that the Lord is honored by our attitude towards our wealth, not the amount of it. And as he has enriched you, may you go now. May you go now and honor him with everything that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have enriched us in every way through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would humbly receive his riches and we would honor him with everything that we have, with all our wealth, with all our energy and with all our time. Would you be honored in Grace Toronto Church and in the lives of all who are listening? For his sake we pray. Amen. When well, we are done, um, we ordinarily have Q&A but because of our congregational meeting, uh, we, we're going to pass over that for this time. But if you have any questions or you want to interact any more about this content, you're welcome to email me, tarik at gracetoronto.ca. Thanks for your time. Amen.